So excited to kick off this brand new series called Messes and Miracles. Today I'm going to preach to you a message called Jaded on the Journey. Jaded on the Journey. Sometimes in the journey of life we get a little jaded, don't we? You know, maybe you were really positive and optimistic about the future, but then you went through some things. You got a bad report from the doctor, you went through a divorce or a breakup, you went through a financial setback, you went through some unexpected experience, and, and you got some bumps and some bruises, and maybe you even have a black eye because you've been jaded on the journey. It's really hard to keep our faith and our confidence in the Lord strong when we go through some things, isn't it? I want to introduce to you a character who was definitely jaded on the journey. Her name's Naomi. The book of Ruth over in the Old Testament tells us the story of Naomi. Some Bible scholars have actually called her the, the female Job of the Bible. Naomi had a lot of bad things that happened in her life. She, she had a lot of messes. But God did some great miracles, amen? And over the next few weeks, I'm going to be talking about Naomi and Ruth and uh, the other characters from the book of Ruth. And we're looking at messes and miracles. God specializes in turning your messes into his miracles. And I want to encourage you today because as we kick off a brand new year, we need to refocus and recalibrate our lives so that we don't get jaded on the journey. Jaded on the journey. Now we know that the book of Ruth was written during the time of the judges. The judges time period in the Old Testament is a time period where the scriptures tell us that everybody did what was right in their own eyes. Um, they had no king in Israel. No one was really in control. Nobody was really in power. Everybody just kind of did their own thing. And you know, that is always a recipe for disaster. She's doing her thing. He's doing his thing. They're doing their thing over there. And the judges are trying to lead the people, but the people are, are constantly worshiping false gods. They're into all kinds of other immoral practices. Other nations are coming in and wiping out the Israelites, ruling over them. The judges period in the Old Testament is absolute chaos. It's a meltdown. And it is in that context that this woman named Naomi finds herself and her family in a great difficulty. There's a famine. There's no food. She lives in a town called Bethlehem. Maybe you've heard of that before. And because there is no food, uh, Naomi and her husband Elimelech decide to go to the nation of Moab. Moab, the Moabites are maybe, you know, 30, 40 miles away, and they have some food over there. But the Mosaic law has forbidden the Israelites to intermarry with, to live among, and to interact with the Moabites. The Moabites are a, 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 very, a very shady group of people. They, have, they practice all kinds of different sexual practices. They practice human sacrifice. They worship false deities. These are wheels off people. And Moses said the Israelites should not interact with them. But Elimelech, because of the famine, decides to take his family there anyway. And unfortunately, his sons intermarry 
with the Moabites. So his sons are, are Israelites. They have faith. They believe in the Lord, but they marry two women that are Moabites that don't know the Lord. And, you know, I think as parents, we have to take with greater consideration, we have to think about the choices that we make because, because it's easy for our kids to sin. Amen? That's pretty easy. But I don't want my kids to sin because of the bad choices that I made. There's enough temptation in the world. And Elimelech makes a bad decision. He probably should have just stayed in Bethlehem and trusted that God was going to provide for him. But we're going to see as this story unfolds the, the tragedy and the difficulties. But here's the first point, and I want you to write this down on your notes today. when I'm hurting. See, we have this idea that if I'm struggling and I'm going through hardship, that I am not in the blessings of God. I did kind of an informal search. I looked on Instagram. When I need sermon content, I look on Instagram. Amen. 140,000 hashtags, blessed. And I looked at some of them. I was like, oh, this is good. One guy said hashtag blessed because he had, had a new Bentley. Yeah. And he said, hashtag blessed. Yeah. One lady did a before and after picture. She had lost 100 pounds. And on one side was, was the before, and then the other side was the after. And she said, hashtag Yeah. One person had a baby after many years of fertility issues, and she said, hashtag Yeah. Somebody else bought their first home, and they were hashtag they were blessed, yeah. And we tend to use the term blessed when like something fantastic happens. But I want you to know today, you can be going through the greatest struggles in your life and you can still be blessed. You can, God can be blessing you and you can be hurting. Your health can be failing and you can still be blessed. Let me take you through this for just a moment. Let me outline this for you. Um, in, in Ruth chapter 1, verse 1, during the time of the judges, there was a famine in the land, and a man left Bethlehem in Judah with his wife and his two sons to stay in the territory of Moab for a while. We just talked about that. Uh, and if you go down a little more, uh, it says in verse 3, Naomi's husband, Elimelech, died, and she was left with her two sons. Now, wait a second. It wasn't supposed to go that way. We just left Bethlehem to come over here for the famine. And by the way, it says their intention was just to stay a little while. You know, sometimes when we sin, we say, I want to stay just a little while. But they end up staying a decade. Sin will lead us to stay in a place a lot longer than we intended to. So now Elimelech is gone. Naomi's a widow. But guys, it gets worse. In verse 5, her sons die, both Mahalon and Chilion. Are those the coolest names you've ever heard before? I'm like, that is straight out of Star Trek. I should have named my kids. But they died, and the woman was left without her two children and without her husband. So, so she's a widow, and now both of her sons have died. She has no children. Now, in the ancient world, women didn't have careers. They didn't own property. They couldn't own businesses. 
they were taken care of. And, and a woman's role was to have babies and to be a wife. But now the husband's gone and the sons can't take care of mama. She's got a big problem. And by the way, she lives in a foreign country where nobody knows her. Things were bad and they got worse. So she had a famine. She had the death of her husband. Now her two boys have died. And now she's living in a foreign place and nobody knows and cares. She's got a problem. In Ruth chapter 1 verse 12, she decides to return home. Return home, my daughters. Go on, for I am too old to have another husband, even though I thought there was still hope for me to have a husband tonight and to bear sons. She says, you know, it's, it's, it's too late. I'm too old to get married again. I, I can't have any more kids. I'm past the ability to do that. In verse 13, she resolves that the Lord is against her. That's a sad commentary, isn't it? Maybe Have you ever felt that way before? Is God against me? You know? Like everybody else, things seem to be going well for them, but I can't get it together. God, are you, are you against me? This is, this is Naomi's depression. This is her despair. And in verse 20, she wants to be called Mara, meaning bitter, because her name Naomi means joyful or pleasant. So she says, you know what? Don't call me pleasant or joyful anymore. Call me bitterness. I'm jaded on the journey. I'm depressed. I don't know what to do. God has afflicted me. What's on your list? What are the, what are the things that have caused you to struggle in your faith? Or the things that, that keep you up at night? Or the things that make you not want to get out of bed in the morning? Have you been jaded on the journey? Everybody has their list of things. Maybe you feel like God's cursed me. I don't know what to do. And then sometimes you see the positive people and they seem to just kind of float and everything seems to fall into place. And you're like, God, I want to have some of that. Jaded on the journey. Well, it's easy to get jaded, but guess what? God is still good. God is still really, really good. I I can't promise you today that you're not going to go through some hard times I can't tell you that your kids aren't going to get in trouble and, and that, that, that you're not going to get a bad report from the doctor sometime or that your marriage is always going to be perfect or that your career is going to go up and to the right all the time. I can't promise you that, but I can tell you God is always good. And, and this is just a setup for the goodness of God. You know, sometimes it takes a little while to see the goodness of God. We get a little impatient, don't we? Like, I want the goodness of God now. God, deliver today. I want it. But your past does not have to be your future. Listen, just because you've been jaded on the journey doesn't mean you have to stay there. And Naomi begins to gain a different perspective, slowly. Let me share with you the other side of the story. Because if you only look at the hardship of your life, you will be depressed You will be discouraged. It's kind of like weighing yourself on one foot. Have you ever stepped onto the scale with one foot? That ever make you feel better? You got to put both feet on the scale to actually see where you weigh. Let me submit to you today. You have to look at the bad things and you have to look at the good. 
If you don't, you, you will have a false reading of what's going on in your life. Now, in chapter 1, verse 6, Naomi decides to go back to Bethlehem. And the town Bethlehem means the house of bread. And so she has been in the middle of, uh, of a drought and a famine. And now she's going back to where there's an abundance. Okay? So not everything is all bad. She's going back home. She's going to go see all her old friends. She's going to go reunite with her community. Uh, Furthermore, in verse 17, she gains a daughter-in-law. And and this daughter-in-law is is named Ruth, and the book of Ruth is named after her. If you look there in verse 17, it says, This is Ruth's declaration to her mother-in-law, Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried, and may the Lord Punish me and do so severely if anything but death separates you and me. So she loses a son, but she gains the daughter-in-law. Do you see it? And Ruth is intensely loyal. We quote this passage in verses 16 and 17 at weddings. You know, your people will be my people, and wherever you go, I'll go, and all that. But it's actually a passage that is that is shared in the context of a mother-in-law and a daughter-in-law. Now, most mother-in-laws and daughter-in-laws don't get along very well. This is an unusual relationship. But I want you to see Naomi has gained a, a great supporter in her daughter-in-law, Ruth. I'm not saying that it, it, it alleviates all the pain of the loss of a son, but I'm just saying that God was still good. And God gave her this, this, this great young woman. And she gains the loyalty of her daughter-in-law. Um, in verse 16 and 17, it says, Naomi took the child, placed him, uh, Ruth chapter 4. Uh, I'm getting ahead of myself just a little bit. But if you fast forward to the end of the book, Naomi is able to connect Ruth with a relative. She, she marries a man by the name of Boaz And Ruth and Boaz have a son by the name of Obed. And guess what? Naomi gets to be the nanny. How cool is that? She never thought she would have grandkids. She thought it was all over. But but the goodness of God set in. And at the end of the story, Ruth is remarried. She has a son. She has an heir. And Naomi gets to take care of the little baby. Now, we're going to talk more about this in the coming weeks. But this man, Boaz, is, is, is called in the Bible a kinsman redeemer. And, and it was the custom of the Israelites that when a man died, that a relative would step to the plate. And he would. that's why it's called a kinsman redeemer, because it's a relative, right? So a relative would step up, a male, would say, I'm going to, I'm going to take care of the family. I'm, I'm going to take care of the debts. I'm going to provide for. I'm going to take. I'm going to love on. I'm going to do whatever I got to do to take care of my brother or my cousin's family or whatever it may be. When when Naomi and Ruth go back to the land of Bethlehem, Boaz is there, and Boaz decides to become the kinsman redeemer of Ruth and of her mother Naomi. So so in Moab, when they were in the land of Moab, they had nobody taking care of them. They had nobody providing for them. There was no protection. But the goodness of God was still there. 
And when they got back home, God provided somebody else to take care of these women. Now, is that awesome? See, you can still be blessed even when you're hurting. I know Naomi and Ruth missed their husbands. I know that they went through a lot of heartache and tragedy, but God still provided for them. God still blessed them. And, and, and we can have pain and hurt and blessing all at the same time. Listen, don't get so focused on your pain that you get depressed. You, you'll get jaded on the journey. you get jaded on the journey. We, we, we got to look at both ends. Amen? Listen, when you start thinking about all the hard things going on in your life, remember what's good. Remember God is always faithful. Remember that God always has a way. Maybe the plan didn't go exactly like you thought it was going to go, but God was still good. God was still there. I love Psalm 27, 13. It says, I am certain that I will see the Lord's goodness in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart be courageous. Wait for the Lord. Boy, we got to wait for the goodness of God. I am certain I will see the Lord's goodness. So God can bless me when I'm hurting. But guess what? It gets even better. I can return to the Lord when I'm questioning. See, when Naomi decides to go back home to Bethlehem, this is her returning to her faith and to her roots. Look at this in verse 6. She and her daughter-in-law set out to return from the territory of Moab because she had, she had heard in Moab that the Lord had paid attention to his people's need by providing them food. She was like, you know what? The blessing of God is over there in Bethlehem. I need to get back with the people of God. And the town of Bethlehem means the house of bread. So it's the place of provision. Listen, we need to get back to the place of provision when we're hurting and when we're struggling and when, we, when we're questioning. We, we need to get back to the place of provision. And guess what? That's the local church under the new covenant. We serve up the bread of life, Jesus Christ, every single weekend here at the church. We got to get back to where we know God wants us to be. Maybe you haven't been to church in a long time, but you're here today. And God wants you to get back in the house, the place where the bread of life is served up. The, the place of bread, the place of provision, the place of blessing. Listen, church is not just an event. Church is a family. Do you believe that? I mean, church is a community. Church is a fellowship. This is not just, this is not like going to a concert. This is like, this is like people encouraging one another and people praying for each other and people, people blessing each other and, and it's friends and, and it's family and it's connectivity. As we're all eating on the bread of life, Jesus Christ, we're all gathered around the same common vision and purpose. And, and there's something beautiful and wonderful about the gift of the, the community of faith that God has given to us. Listen, we, we've seen unprecedented numbers of people stop going to church over the last two years. I would venture to say maybe even half of our church stop coming to church. You know, some people are coming back and we're reaching out to, to those people. We, we love everybody. We want everybody to come back. But a lot of people have not come back. And, you know, during the pandemic, a lot of people started doing other things. You know, a lot of people started taking up extra hobbies. 
My, my son was digging around in the basement during the, during the lockdown, and he was like, Dad, you have all these football cards from the 1990s, and they're still in the packages. Let's open them. I was like, wow. So we started opening all the packages. By the way, I had a Brett Favre rookie card. Amen. Oh, hashtag blessed. Come on. <laughs> I was like, this is awesome. So we started, collect, we started collecting cards together. And this is what I did as a kid. You know, I think I've lost my mind collecting football cards, you know. And maybe you picked up some new habits during the pandemic. You know, we got a dog, too. You know, I'm like, I have really lost my mind. I've been a cat guy my whole life, and now I have a dog. The pandemic messed with me. Maybe you took up watercolor painting or finger painting or <laughs> needle pointing or crocheting or I don't know, whatever people do when they sit around by themselves, watching Netflix. But listen, we don't want to let that replace the time that we have set aside for God. We need to come feast on the bread of life, Jesus, together. Do you see it? I can return to the Lord when I'm questioning, and here's what that means. Even though you're struggling, even though you don't have it all figured out, you can come, you can come to the church. See, we, we, we have this idea that like when we come to church, we, we got to have it all together. You know? Man, I want you to come to church when you're broken. I want you to come to church when you're discouraged. That's why you come to church. Don't feel like you come to church just when everything is going great. By the way, you won't be here that often. I want you to come on the good days and the bad days. And if you need somebody to give you a hug in the lobby, then amen, let it be. That's all right. Let's feast on the bread of life. Let's get back to the house of God. Let's return to our roots. Let's return to what we know is important. Just like Ruth when she said, you know what? There's blessing over there in Bethlehem. Man, I miss I miss those people. I miss, I miss my family. I miss my friends. I miss my community. Um, I, I got to get back to it. And she packed up all of her stuff and she moved back to where she knew she needed to be. But she brings somebody with her. She brings the, the Moabite, the Moabitess daughter-in-law, Ruth, goes with Naomi. Now just think about this for a minute. People in the ancient world were not real accepting of people of other races and ethnicities. The Moabites and the Israelites were fighting all the time. These guys didn't get along. And now Ruth is making a commitment to leave her family and everything she knows to go be with, with Naomi, the mother-in-law. And, and I think she loved her mother-in-law, but you know what? She was impressed with the God of Naomi. She says, let your God be my God. And you know, there's a time when you begin to embrace faith, when God leads you to leave some things behind. Or you can't stay where you are. You have to move to the next level. I can embrace personal faith when I'm struggling. See, listen, you, you can have a, a strong faith in the Lord even though you don't have all the answers. You hadn't figured it all out. You're hurting. You're struggling. But you can have personal faith. Look at this in verse 15. Naomi said, look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. 
Follow your sister-in-law. But Ruth replied, don't plead with me to abandon you or to return and not to follow you. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Now, I'm really not sure why Naomi is trying to talk Ruth out of going with her. She was a poor evangelist. (laughs) But she had obviously shared something about the God of Israel that had provoked Ruth to want to learn more and to move from where she was to where she was going. And she said, I'm willing to leave everything. I, I want to be with you, but more importantly, I want to serve your God. I want to know your God. This is, this is Ruth's conversion experience. This is when she enters into the family of faith. She says, listen, I, I, I want your God to be my God. And wherever you live, I will live. And your people will be my people. I want to embrace everything about the God of Israel. Now, there's another daughter-in-law. If you remember, Naomi had the two sons, Mahalon and Chilion. Okay, the Cleon names. And so there's two daughter-in-laws. There's Ruth that we've been talking more specifically about. There's another name, Orpha. Orpha is with Ruth and Naomi. She's going to go to Israel too, but as they started leaving, she looked back. She said, you know what, I can't, I can't leave it behind. And she embraces, or she re-embraces the gods of Moab and the old way of living. And Orpha represents what is sensible and rational, and Ruth represents what is faith-filled and willing to follow the Lord. Orpha goes back to what she was used to. She, she wants to live in the community that she's always been in. Uh, and the problem is, many times we want to embrace faith, but we want to live in Moab. Like, I want to come and hear a good sermon, and I want to hear some great music, and I want to feel good for a minute, but I want to go back and do all the stuff that I've always been doing. I'm having trouble leaving some, some things behind. But when you embrace personal faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, guess what? You begin to leave some things behind. Uh, the, the New Testament says, all things have become new. The old things have passed away. we got to let some things die in our life. Maybe some old friendships, some old relationships, some old ways of thinking, some old habits, some old patterns, some old whatever it may be. To embrace what is new. And Orpha goes back to what she has always known, the gods of Moab, and Ruth embraces the God of her mother-in-law. It's beautiful. You know, in the New Testament, the kinsman redeemer is viewed as Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the one who purchased us back. We had a debt. We had a dilemma. We had a crisis And when Jesus died on the cross and he rose from the grave on the third day, he was our redeemer. He redeemed us from the debt of sin. And so what Boaz is in the book of Ruth is a beautiful picture of the whole message of the gospel. That's what Jesus is. In Ruth chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, Boaz shows compassion and gentleness to Ruth. And that's what we find in the ministry of Jesus. Jesus is showing compassion and 
gentleness towards others. Jesus provides. Jesus protects. Jesus watches over his blessed bride. And we see this echoed throughout the New Testament and the Gospels. He is the true kinsman redeemer of all who will call on him in faith. We need this kinsman redeemer. We're going to talk more about it in the coming weeks. But here's what I want you to take away today. Don't get jaded on the journey. Don't get depressed. Don't get discouraged. Don't feel like that God has abandoned you. You're going to go through some hard times, but you remember this. God is still good. God is still blessing. God is still opening up doors of opportunity. God is still working. And with God on your side, you can accomplish every single thing that he has put before you. Would you pray with me for a minute? Let's pray together. I want to pray for you. If you'd say, Pastor, pray for me this morning. I'm a little jaded on the journey. I need the Lord to help me today to get through some of the things that I'm going through. Would you, would you raise your hand today? Yeah, all over this place. Thank you, guys. All over this, yeah, the front, the back, and the sides, and the middle. Thank you over here. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. God, today you, you see these hands raised, and you know our struggle and our heartache and the things that freak us out. Lord, today would you just remind us of all of the good that you're doing in our lives? Lord, let us not weigh our life by putting one foot on the scale, but Lord, help us to see Help us to see the whole picture and all that you're doing. And Lord, would you give us the courage and the strength to step forward in faith like, like Naomi and Ruth did when they got up out of Moab and they went to the land of blessing, the house of bread, the town of Bethlehem. Lord, I pray that would be the commentary of our life. And while our heads are bowed for a moment longer, some of us today may not have ever met this great God who revealed himself in the person of Jesus Christ. He died on a cross. He rose from the grave on the third day, and he did so because he loved you. And the scriptures tell us that he will become our kinsman redeemer if we'll invite him into our heart. I want to give you a chance to do that this morning. It's the greatest decision that a person will ever make is to ask Jesus Christ to come into their heart. And while we're seated right where we are, would you just lift your hand this morning if you'd say, I'd like to pray and ask Christ to come into my life today. Forgive my sins. Make me a brand new person. Just hold it up high. I want Christ to come into my life. And if you'd like to do that, I want you just to pray with me. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive my sins. And make me a brand new person as I'm putting my faith in Jesus and what he did at the cross and resurrection. And now, Lord, thank you for making me new and wiping away my sins. Amen.